If this is your first time to High Point, we get a little excited about some things. We're a part of a spiritual family that's global. It's called Every Nation. And what you're seeing, the Every Nation Conference, is literally thousands of college students around the United States will be gathering to worship. Our very own Catherine Nicholson will be helping lead some of our students for the first time uh, to experience uh, what it looks like to, to worship with hundreds or thousands of other students. It's a powerful time. There's nothing like being connected to something bigger than yourself. So many people leave the church and they leave the faith sometimes because they're just, more than anything, they're just bored. That's not to say that, that Christianity isn't true or real. They just don't have eyes to see the larger picture of what's happening around the world and around the United States. God is moving in powerful ways. Do not buy in to the news hype that the world is sinking on a ship in the middle of the ocean, like that everything is just terrible all the time. It's actually not. God is doing extraordinary things in every nation, in every country, and he's moving powerfully. Amen? Amen. We're in a series right now called Amazing Grace, and I have to tell you that his grace truly is amazing. It's abundant. It's extraordinary. Yet we use this word grace in ways that, that defy its actual definition. If you grew up in the sweet south, you say grace because it's dinner time and somebody's got to say grace, right? Anybody grow, grow up saying that at all? No, nobody, okay. Well, <laughs> okay, all right. We extend grace to one another. We, you know, that person needs some grace. It's kind of like the, you know, the, the God bless him. God bless that person. Bless, right? It's, it's the word that just covers everything. My son, my, my oldest son, one time we, we, when we first moved here a little over five years ago, we had a rental house literally around the corner from here. And I came home and had my bag on my you know, shoulder, and I walked into the home, and in this particular home, you opened the door, and right in front of you were the stairs heading up, you know, to the, to the second story of the house, and all the trim was white, and all of the, you know, the baseboards were white, and the, 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 the wood on the staircase itself was white, although today, it wasn't quite as white as it used to be. I walked in and there was black permanent marker and it had just been, I mean, a Picasso had, had gone into effect all over the walls, all over the stairwell, all over the banister. My son needed a lot of grace from me on that particular day. Fun fact for you, though, when you have babies and you have baby wipes, baby wipes will knock the fool out of some permanent marker. Fun tip, pro tip for you guys today. We need lots of grace. If you didn't know it, people require grace from you. Unmerited favor. That's what grace means. When you have experienced the grace of God, it means that you have experienced something that you did not deserve. God's favor extended to you. 
You didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you. That's grace. There are people in your life that need grace from you. They didn't earn it. They don't deserve it, but they need it from you. And guess what? You need people to extend grace to you, to be a gracious human being. The world would be a much better place, would it not? If we all were willing to extend unmerited favor to one another. You didn't deserve it and you didn't earn it, but I'm going to give it to you because God gave it to me. But it's not the only kind of grace that we see at work in the scriptures. And today we're going to take a turn in the Bible. We're going to talk about some things that, that people dread talking about in church. But we're going to hit it in a way that I think is going to leave you feeling encouraged, inspired, and hopefully passionate about what God is doing in our city and in our community and in this church. Amen? Can we be excited about what God is doing? I think we can. we got the Titans and Chiefs playing today, and there are people who are going to be amped at their TV. And if we can be pumped for a sports game, how much more can we be pumped for the things of God? Father, be with us. God, help us to to have a heart for your kingdom today. Help us to be passionate about the things that you're passionate about. Help us to have hearts and lives fully surrendered to you. Minister to us today. Turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is writing to a young church in the city of Corinth. There's a lot going on in Corinth. Lots of things happening here. There's temples and literally, uh, um, I mean, just extraordinary economy is happening in Corinth. There's lots of wealth. There's lots of prosperity that's happening here in the city of Corinth. And this is what he writes, and I'm going to unpack it further. But just in short, the writer Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he says to them, to this church, he writes, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See that you also, in other words, he's calling some special attention to this grace. Maybe because it's a grace that's very easy for us to forget. It's a grace that's easy for us to miss or to ignore. Most of us here have some kind of New Year's resolution. Some of you want to lose a few pounds. I do. I want to lose a few pounds. I'm working on things. I'm adjusting diets. You know, I've got all the apps and, you know, making sure my steps are getting in and all the things because this is what you do at the beginning of a new year. Some of you are, are aspiring to get new jobs. Some of you are aspiring for raises. Some of you are literally aspiring to grow in, in different leadership skills and decision making and a side hustle here or, or, or relationships that you know you'd like to, to grow in. We have all these things that we come out of the gate, uh, the start of a new year that we want to grow in. But how many of us woke up and said, you know what I want to grow in this year? 
the grace of giving. I want to become the most generous person that God could possibly make me. Most of us don't think that way. In fact, the thought of growing and giving, even as I'm talking to you, even as we begin this conversation, the things that begin swelling up inside of us are providing reasons for why we can't already, and we haven't even started exploring what the Bible has to say. There's something inside of us, especially as Americans, where we resist generosity and we love our stuff and we love our things. But Paul is exhorting the church and he is exhorting them to grow in the grace of giving. And I believe it is the same word for our church right here in Kennesaw, Georgia. I believe that God would have us grow as a people and to grow in this area of generosity. And everybody said, amen. amen. Yes, to grow in the grace of giving. Let me ask you this. Are you growing? Are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in generosity? Honestly. There are a lot of things that, that, that we can kind of be braggadocious about, you know, like I'm growing in this area. You know, I'm getting stronger here. I'm faster here. I'm, I'm a better leader this year than I was last year. Let me ask you this. Are you growing in generosity? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 through 9. We're going to back all the way up, read it again, and finish out through verse 9. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now Paul writes long sentences and he uses about 94 commas in every one. And it can be tough to really wrap your head at times around what he's truly saying. So let's paraphrase. Jesus sacrificed everything. And we are blessed because of it. And yet he's writing the church and he's compelling them to live like Christ. In other words, what we, when we give and when we sacrifice... Out of our poverty, out of our less, others become more. And so when we actually give, we gain. And we see this very same principle at work from cover to cover in the Bible. In fact, there's a promise that God makes that we're going to get to in just a minute. What you may not know about the text here is that Paul is writing this. It's about 
AD 52, and about AD 52 to 57, about five, six years, Paul has been writing letters to the Corinthian church, and he's been organizing collections at the church, specifically this one. He's literally been spending five, six years. Talk about a capital campaign, okay? He's been organizing the gathering of funds specifically for poor Christians in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter to them and he's calling them up and he's trying to inspire them and he's calling them to the the picture of Jesus and how Jesus gave his very life. And if Jesus can be generous, how can we not be generous? Paul spent the majority of his time preaching. He didn't spend as much of his time pastoring as you might think. He spent a lot of time preaching and a lot of time writing. And he actually spent a great deal of time praying and petitioning the church to grow in generosity. Maybe because one of the things that would stand in the way of us and relationship with Christ on the regular would be our love for things, our love for money, our love for stuff. If you're like me, I find myself drifting towards my things giving me value and my things trying to define me. I think of, I think of life, well, if I just had, or when I finally, and what I really am after, and what most of us are really after, is a life where we no longer have to get on our knees and pray for God's provision. I want a life where I don't have to use my faith when it comes to money and finances. And if I can just get self-sustaining, I don't need God in this area. Well, then I can use that faith elsewhere. False. That's not how it works. Verse 10, here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Meaning this church was at the front lines of giving. You couldn't stop them. Now finish the work, Paul says, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. In other words, Paul is writing, calls them to the picture of Jesus. He reminds them that we basically have been collecting offerings for the past five, six years for those in need. Now let's finish what we started. We've been running this race, now let's finish it. There's a a gladiator spirit to this, you know, a a marathon running like, come on, let's go. We've got one last leg to hit. Let's do it. And he writes it. And we see in the book of Acts, we see his delegates coming and literally receiving this offering. In Acts, I believe it's chapter 20. Let's finish what we started Buckle up as we drift on to chapter 9, verse 6. 
It's a lengthier passage. But it's easy for you to grasp. I promise. This is Paul's reminder. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every single good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable If you know me well, my major was finance and economics. I love talking about money. I love sitting down and helping people with money, managing money, sorting out things. I'm not a financial planner, but I grew up in a home where my father was. And so numbers and money and things like this, it doesn't scare me or intimidate me. In fact, I love talking about it. I'm passionate about it. I get excited about it because what I'm most excited about is ministry. But ministry requires resourcing. Ministry requires funding. And when the church really gets engaged in the mission, things like giving and tithing and first fruits are no longer conversations of compulsion. They're conversations where people are excited and they're locked in and they're willing and they're rejoicing because we see the fruit of what giving does in the lives of the people that our church ministers to. Now come on somebody. That makes me pumped and excited about giving time. There have been churches that I've been to and I love how they did this. It was in the culture of their church. But every single Sunday, the person that would get up to do the offering, the, the excitement came. It wasn't during the worship part, although there was some excitement during worship. Don't, don't get me wrong. But when he got on that microphone, he said, it's giving time. The church went crazy because it was in their DNA that this is who we are 
If there's anything that should mark us as Christians, it's that we are generous. When you look at early church history, when we look at the Roman Empire, there are three things. I'm going to mention two that marked the early church and the rapid rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. One was the willingness to die for your faith, especially during things like the Black Plague. It was only one group of people that was willing to walk back into Rome and help at the risk of their own life and their own peril. It was Christians. And when those who survived literally this contagious disease... Those that were left standing were literally very few people, but those that were left aspired to become Christians. They left their, 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 their uh, religions, their false gods, and they put their faith in the same religion as those who had been ministering to them as they were close to death. The other thing that marked the early church in much of the, the, the historical writings is the marvel that the world had at the manner in which the church was generous. People couldn't get their head around the generosity of these wild, crazy people who followed this thing called the way, which is what the early faith was called, the way. And the Bible teaches us so much about what that looked like. But before we get to it, let me just recap. When we give... Paul, that was a long passage that I read just a moment ago, but let's just, let's just circle back. Here's what happens when we give. You and I receive abundant blessing from God when, we, when we're generous. But the blessing comes with some responsibility. You and I are blessed when we give so that we may abound in every single good work. The scriptures say that you and I are enriched in every way so that we can be more generous. The scripture tells us that God supplies our needs as we sow into the needs of others. And that it produces thanksgiving. Now, there, there are a lot of things I forget. I can forget names. I can forget meeting people. I'm sorry if you're one of those people. I work really hard at trying to remember. But you know what I don't have any trouble remembering is when someone has done something extraordinarily generous or kind to me. I have a lawnmower that I have literally at my house right now that was given to me. When somebody, when we first started the church, church planners oftentimes have no money at all, by the way, which... We fit that criteria pretty well, and I had a lawnmower go out, and somebody knew about it, and somebody literally just showed up with a lawnmower that they bought at Lowe's. And I remember just being so moved by this act of generosity. I've never forgotten that. There are times in your life where people have helped you, where they've been a blessing to you, even at your middle school. Think about it in, in high school. Think about it in the cafeteria. Think about it when someone has done something extraordinarily kind to you. Oftentimes, what has been associated with it is some measure of generosity, and you don't forget it. It produces thanksgiving. In a world right now where, I kid you not, one of the latest stories is the safety deposit box craze that's happening right now. If you're 
a Harry Potter fan or something like that, there's this bank called Gringotts, the way down in the middle of the earth, and all of these bank accounts, you know, were, were in the middle, like down, hundreds of feet down into the earth, and you think, oh, what a fun movie, that's crazy, except it's real life now. And the safety deposit box craze has gone nuts in that millionaires have safety deposit box the size of apartments now underneath in the ground, and you have to take elevators hundreds of feet down into the earth to get to it, where they put their priceless jewels and their paintings and whatever else millionaires need to hide 150 feet down in the earth. And these boxes literally cost $3.2 million a year. So just to track with me here, you're spending $3.2 million a year to hide all of your valuables. Because $3.2 million clearly isn't valuable. Is anybody, their mind just blown by this? But this is the world in which we live. Rather than aspiring to be generous, oftentimes we aspire to hold it ever so tightly. And you may not have $3.2 million to bury down deep into an apartment-sized vault, but make no mistake about it, many times we hide that, that same kind of money in our closet with all of our fancy clothes and look at the walk-in closet and all of the things I can just choose to wear or all of my shoes from top to bottom or, or maybe it's not that, it's my TV, it's my entertainment system, it's my, it's my thing and stuff. Now, if I have no problems spending money or that Christians somehow can't have awesome things or nice things. Go for it. But I think we can all agree that the scale is unbalanced. Things haven't been tipping in the right direction. And when we exhort and talk about giving, many times it comes with protest or offense. And I don't mean from the pastor to the church. I just mean when the Holy Spirit comes knocking on our door, we do everything we can to sidestep God inviting us to give and to sacrifice more. But I think He is run through a few things here. Different postures of giving. There's, I've got to give. Some of you might have grown up like that. Where it was kind of almost like, pastor's going to, you know, I need to see your W-2, you know, kind of a thing. And, you know, somehow this obligational, transactional giving. And that's not Christ-like giving, by the way. That's not the way we as a church operate. That's not how the church it operates, certainly not how this one operates. There's give to get. And if you've bought into this idea of the prosperity gospel, that's what this is. Where I'm going to give, but really I'm giving because the motivation of my heart is not God's glory and His kingdom, it's expanding. It's that, that I'm giving because I'm going to get some in return. 
My kids understand this concept of giving. Oh, you mean I've got to give away some things before Christmas, before I get some toys? Oh, okay, that's fine. We'll go, we can go raid my you know, room upstairs for all the things I don't want anymore. Are we that different? Then we, we move into things like I get to give. There's an excitement about it. Motivated by mission. Watched a documentary on Disney last night uh, on Disney Plus, And I was amazed at the excitement people had at financing It's a Small World, the ride. And the person who was designing all of the dresses for these little robotic animatronic hellions on It's a Small World. <laughs> and there's an interview with the woman sitting there with Walt Disney and she says, what's my budget? He says, don't worry about the budget. We've got people standing by excited to pour money into this. You, you put a dress on that doll that every little girl would wish she was wearing. That's what you got. That's what you get to work with. Okay. Now hear me. If there's that many people excited to finance an experience that removes you from reality, how much more should the church be standing by excited to give so that those might experience the most real thing they ever could taste in the whole world, relationship with Jesus. If there are people jumping out of their shoes at Disney, how can we not, knowing the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He's the one who sets you free. He's the one who transforms you from the ground up. He's the one who can repair your marriage. He's the one who can change the, the trajectory of your child. He's the one. How much more should we be excited to give in ways that make a difference in the lives of people who need to know him or in the lives of people literally in this very church? But that still isn't the best kind of giving. Oh, that's good. But the greatest place when your heart gets moved to generosity is the grace of giving. Excited to give. But now as you mature, what you get to do is press into the grace of giving. Where God is literally giving you grace to be generous. That's what we want. And I think that's where we are going as a church. A gracious church. A church that understands the grace of giving. I may go just a minute long here, so just bear with me because it's important, church. Understand there's two things about people who, who have embraced gracious giving, the grace of giving. Number one is that we're okay and we're comfortable with the idea of sacrifice. We do not have gracious giving if we do not embrace the life that God has called you and I to, which is a life of sacrifice for his kingdom. 
2 Chronicles 31.5, this is a scripture that, that you see touching from beginning to end, literally even in the New Testament. The Israelites generously gave, in chapter 31, verse 5, the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. A tithe means a tenth. This is what they brought. Joyfully, with excitement, with God's grace at work in their life. Now hear me. There is zero pressure because God does not want me as a pastor to somehow lead with a heavy hand on his flock. That is not my appeal today. My appeal, however, is to the Bible and the Word and that the God of heaven and earth would move powerfully in your life in such a way that you grow in the grace of giving. And when your heart gets moved, guess what comes right along with it? God gives seed to the sower. But you've got to be open to what God is doing. You've got to be willing to say, God, yes. And so from beginning to end in the Bible, what we see is an offering of first fruits, meaning whatever I've got, God, you get it first. I'm bringing my best to you and I'm bringing my first to you. You do not get my leftovers. You don't get my casual afterthoughts. You get my best for the sake of your kingdom. In the Old Testament, for the sake of the temple. early church, most of them were bringing more than a tithe. Isn't that crazy to think about? 10%. My wife and I, we work hard to tithe. There were times where it was so difficult at times for us to give a tenth. I mean, we riced and beamed it at times, church. But we were determined to be the kind of people that even when it was tough, we were going to give. God was going to get our first fruits. He wasn't going to get my leftovers. He certainly wasn't going to get my afterthought. He was going to get my best. Because God gave me his best. He gave you his best. Gracious giving is marked by sacrifice and it's marked by the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. The early church, Jesus has risen from the dead. The church has just been basically forming right there on the spot. And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Why? Because God's grace was at work. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is crazy! What would possess someone to do this kind of thing, to live this way? God's grace does. 
When you get a revelation of gracious generosity, that God's grace is at work inside of me, it's not this outside, you know, Star Wars force type thing. It's literally the Spirit at work inside of you, giving you the power to do what your flesh does not want you to do. To grow in giving. And it marks the church. And thousands, the Bible said, thousands of people were coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. How has God empowered us through the Spirit? I'm going to encourage you for a minute. If you're not already. One of the things that I love about our church is our generosity. We're a generous church. Last year when, when you all found out and we found out that there were balances left on the school here for ASP, after school programs, the, the debt that family had incurred with the county, we rallied and we paid off all the debt here at the school. How does that happen? What would motivate you to do something like that? The gracious work of the power of the Holy Spirit in your, in your life. Grace giving. When the budget hotels burned down, if you recall a little over a year ago, one of the, the churches that championed the rehabilitation of people with groceries and clothing and food was our church. And we raised thousands of dollars, not just from within our body, but from the community itself that went towards the, the rebuilding of people's very lives. Your financing, your giving, your gracious giving, whether we see the fruit of that within the four walls of this church, testifies to the goodness of God. Testifies to His greatness and the power of which He's changed you. And if He's changed you, we want other people to experience the same change. You've helped finance mission trips to Australia and to Cuba. This church, along with our church in Orlando, was one of the first churches since 1967 in the nation of Cuba to get to pioneer the foundation laying of an actual church building. Do you know that? Since the rise of communism, our church and the one we partnered with was the first. How does that happen? How did we get to do that? I believe because God was moved by your generosity. By partners who sowed in, who believe in God's kingdom work. There are families that are in this church right now, some have moved, some are still here, who have been the recipient of grace, of gracious giving through hard times. School supply drives, our youth, our campus. University students. Over the past several years, you've given thousands at different times to meet the need. That only happens because God is moving in your midst. But now, in the same way that Paul wrote this letter to Corinth and said, let's finish what we started. I'm not marking this moment with this moment of finality as if once we get here, let's shut the doors and we're done. 
But there is a measure of us right now at year five as a church. The, 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 the fifth year is the year at which a church, if you can make it to five, you've survived. Five, survive. Okay, that's, that's what you've got to understand here. Many churches don't get this far. They don't make it. But we've made it. We've arrived. But now it's time for us to strap on a different pair of running shoes and run a different lap and start to run at a different pace and help us uh, run with God into some different areas of our community and our city. And I'm asking you, church, I'm not commanding you, but I am exhorting you and I'm trying to inspire you and help you see what God is doing. Let's keep pressing in to the Spirit of God and grow in the grace of of giving because there are people who need what you've got. There are neighborhoods. We used to just bemoan the location of our church right here. Oh, we're in this portable school. Oh, you know, what's God doing? And now all of a sudden, we are right in the hotbed of all the development in Kennesaw. There are neighborhoods going around everywhere right now. Literally right across the street, right down the street. You head down Main Street. There's a new one on every dang corner. Who's going to reach those people? How are we going to let them know that there's a church right here? What are we going to do about it? All of these things require resourcing. They require funds. We are looking literally at the, the different things of, you know, we could send this in the mail to literally every single person that moves in. We're meeting with this person. We're, we're setting up meetings to literally have conversations with the real estate development companies. What can we do to have first-in opportunities to serve and be a blessing to the people in this city? We're missing a moment if we choose to do nothing. There are people who will come to faith in Jesus if we will stretch and if we will press in to grow in giving this year. Our operating budget here at High Point Church is $10,600 a month. That's what it takes to run everything. For some of you, you're shocked. Like, my God, some of you can't believe we do it on such a tight dime. That includes salaries. That includes, that includes literally food for events we do here at the school. That includes rent. That includes office. It includes utilities. You can see how quickly the operation costs of ministry, they add up. And by the way, if we want to get line by line on it, we can grab coffee. I have absolutely nothing to be hiding from you at all about it. God has moved greatly in our church. And we can keep the doors open. And we can keep the lights on. And we can keep doing all the things that we're doing right now. But I don't think this is where we're called to stay. Which means... We've got to stretch into something greater. And we've got to grow in the grace of giving. Praying through this, I felt like what we're supposed to do, it's a big goal. But our budget of $10,600 is supposed to stretch in 2020. 
into about 14, 14, 5 this year. And what that's going to require of us as a church is embracing a new measure of generosity. There's new neighborhoods. We have an opportunity right now. We give almost uh, $700 a month towards new churches in the United States every single month. Your giving does that. Financing new churches being established. And we are getting more and more requests, not just within the U.S., but outside. We're forging relationships in the U.K. There's a new church in Paris. If you've ever been to Paris, it needs new churches. And they need our support, and they're asking for it. It's part of every nation. And I believe this is one of our unique strategic partnerships in the coming year ahead. But right now, what we have to do is have more in the bucket to give away. By the way, none of the things that we're talking about include new cars for pastors or homes or any of these things. All the things that we're passionate about are people-oriented. It's about reaching more people. It's about opening more doors for new ministry. It's about more equipping. It's about more engagement. It's about more salvations. It's about God being glorified. talk to our worship team. They would tell you that there's some new equipment that they're excited to buy. Our little TV screen, while it has been glorious, as this room fills with people, that thing is becoming smaller and smaller. These are good problems to have. Now, the people come first, but there are still things, church, that we want to grow into. Which means for some of you sitting here, it's time. It's time to go back to the kitchen table and say, Lord, what would you have me give? How can I grow in the grace of giving? Some of you have received promotions. Praise God. It's time to take that promotion and say, God, what would you have me do with my increase? How can I sow more seed into your kingdom? Some of you are sitting here and you've graduated and you are an adult. You, you are adulting now. You got that job and it's time for you. You're not in your mom and dad's church. You're in your church and it's time for you to step into that, that place at the table and say, I'm going to do something about this. God, here's my first fruits. I'm advancing the kingdom with what you've given me. God, use it. Bless it. Give me the seed to sow today, Lord, that you would bless this kingdom of yours. People might know you, be changed by you, Lord. passing the basket again, just in case. You're like, okay, I wound everybody up. Now pass it again. This is not what we're doing. We're not doing that. I am not in the business of emotionally whipping you up so that I can twist your arm into something. No. But our community needs our giving. We've got to grow in it. For some of you, it's time to take a step of faith, not out of obligation, but to begin trying to give a tenth or giving more than a tenth. Not because you have to, but because we get to. 
believe God's going to bless us as we give.